Hello, thanks for downloading or listening or streaming to episode 5 of Have You Seen This? Just a quick note before we get started on this one. Unfortunately, we had some connectivity issues, which meant we had to rely on a variety of different audio sources for the episode. I hope it doesn't impact the quality too much, but I thought I'd just let you know in case it does. Enjoy! David, here it is. My philosophy is basically this, and this is something that I live by, and I always have, and I always will. Don't ever, for any reason, do anything to anyone, for any reason, ever, no matter what, no matter where, or who, or who you're with, or where you are going, or where you've been, ever, for any reason. Hello, friends. (laughs) Welcome along to another fun-filled, backpacked, and probably list-heavy episode of Have You Seen This? In the words of the great poet Hermione Granger, when are you going to get it into your head? We're in this together. And on such a philosophical note, the most fabulous co-host a young wizard could ever hope for, <laughs> it's Wingardium Leviosa Breen and Expelliarmus Mercer. <laughs> Hello, chaps. How you doing? You all right? How's everybody doing? Paul, are you as confused as I am right now with that intro? I, I don't recognise that at all. It's a great, great quote, but I have no idea what it's from. You've outdone yourself this week, Hammond. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Good, good. And also joining us, a man who I believe could very well be a real-life wizard. I've seen this man on many occasions put a whole room of people under his spell and has actually made a few of them spontaneously pee themselves. <laughs> the man, the legend, Mr. Miles Crawford. How are you, sir? Very, very good morning. Very good afternoon. Very good evening. Wherever you are in the world. <laughs> exactly. Wherever you are and whatever time, welcome along. Great. So we're all very well, apparently. Uh, I've confused you all a little bit with all the prep work. Once again, goes into my introduction and I've done nothing else after this. So let's crack on with the podcast. We finished the podcast with a question and therefore we start with the same question. So it was a final line quote and the quote was, good afternoon, Mr. President. Sorry, I've been away so long. I won't let you down again. That is the final line from which film this tangentially just popped into my head you know one of those things sometimes when you don't think about trying to answer a question all of a sudden the answer's there all i was doing was yeah once you google it was fuck you hammond <laughs> <laughs> i was actually right just writing an entry down uh, for for the notes for the show this week okay um i was just writing down the title of one of the films that i would actually watch this week and then the answer just popped into my head so it's which is it's it's superman 2 it is superman 2 Fantastic. Well done. Uh, we do have a small role of honour this week. So via Messenger, Tristian Cooper, friend of the show, messaged me almost immediately after he listened to the podcast, The Right Answer. And also via Facebook, John Cheeseman and Steve Dempster both messaged us with the correct answer. So well done. Fantastic question. Paul's got it. So that's in the back. I need to amend the scores, though. I got the scores wrong in the last episode. It's actually, it was 2-1 to us. But now it is 3-1 to us, so... Slam it in the back of the net. 3-1. I'll get you. <laughs> this week is a little tougher, so hopefully I'll get you this week. <laughs> On with the show. Our regular show starter is our big picks from the small screen. And we love to hear from our guest right away. So, Miles, what's been entertaining you over the last couple of weeks? I think variety is... Uh... The spice of life. And as Paul would say, tangentially, tangentially. I had to Google that when he'd said that just now. <laughs> I've been I've been watching a variation of things. I've been watching a variation of things. This is a time when everybody's indoors and you know you you're in all these WhatsApp groups and all this stuff's going on, and people are going, Oh, I've been binge watching this, binge watching that. So what I do, 
I give it a go. You know, I watch a bit of it. Nice. And um, stuff that I wouldn't normally watch. Some of it has been surprisingly just fantastic. Really good viewing. Okay. Like what? Kids <laughs> <Kids laughs> like us? Yeah. I've been watching um, things like the small, the small series, Netflix and uh, Amazon, and just clips of things on YouTube. There was a film, uh, it was called... Um, Something to do with the red, not the red devils, but the red something. And it told the true story of uh, a black unit of Air Force flyers, jet flyers, in the war. It was fantastic. It was really, really good viewing. And uh, the fact that it was true gave it a nice little edge. I wouldn't normally watch something like that, but I thought, okay, let's have a look. Wasn't that George Lucas involved in that, wasn't he? Is that Red Tails? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Red Tails, that's right, yes, very good, I I really did enjoy that. I also watched a programme called White Teeth, have you heard of that? White Teeth? Wow, that is a classic. Wow! Yeah, that's that's really old, that's like 20 years old. It is, and it was an old tennis buddy of mine, and we were just discussing in, in the group, what people are watching? He said, white teeth. I've never heard of that. And so, bang, straight on. And I watched the whole thing. I binged watched that one. You're right. It was an absolute classic. Really, really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed that one. White yeah, it's fantastic. Teeth. Brilliant. Very cool. Nice. So, mixed bag, same as Miles. I'll try anything and everything during these times. So, a film that slipped me by from 2012, um, and I don't know why I didn't watch this, because it ticks a lot of boxes, and it's Savages with Blake Lively. Have you seen this? Yeah. It was fine up until the last 20 minutes, and the film ended, and then Blake Lively says, well, that's how I wish it ended. And then there's just this really shit second 20-minute long ending that just doesn't do the rest of the film any justice at all. Mm-hmm. Is this Oliver, Oliver Stone? Yeah. I've never heard of this. Strange, strange film. Strange ending. Really, Benicio Del Toro's in it. Um, Selma Hayek yeah. is also in it. Who, sorry, who else is in it? Blake Lively. Is this isn't the one with the car, is it? Or am I thinking of another film? No, so basically Blake Lively is dating two California drug dealers, um, like marijuana growers and sellers. Right. They essentially want to get taken over by the Mexican cartel. So the film is entirely unrealistic because, let's face it, they both would have been murdered within seconds of them attempting to take on Mexican drug cartel. Yeah. But it goes on and on and on. And it's actually, it's action-packed. It's pretty good. Benicio Del Toro, for me, this is one of his best roles. He's a maniac in this. He's so savage. But the ending, my God, the film should have just stopped, but it does not. It does this weird kind of dream sequence when you think the film has ended, and it goes back to what the actual ending was, and it's just just shit, just ruined the entire film for me. Um, So I would avoid that. Well, you've not sold that. No. Here's a little caveat for you. So this isn't from my list. So following last week's chat about American presidents, Tristian Cooper got in touch and he said that his favourite American president was from the film The American President from 1995. A genuine, a very, very good film. Reminded me of almost a Christmas film. It's very feel-good, quite unrealistic, quite cheesy, uh, but it's on Netflix at the moment. The American President. I would definitely watch that. And then I watched Dark Waters Uh, because it was in the cinema briefly. When cinemas were open, there was a film called Dark Waters in the cinema. I don't know if you remember cinemas and when films used to show in cinemas. Vague recollection. I missed this. It's on Prime now for free. So I watched it and oh my God, what a film this is. It's it's the true story of a lawyer taking on the DuPont chemical um, organization. And at the end of the film, during the credits, and it tells you that 99% of all living beings on the planet now have this unbreakable chemical in our systems that was created at this chemical plant in America. Absolutely frightening. Me and my partner watched that film and we immediately run, and I don't know if you did the same thing, but we rushed home and literally threw out all of our frying pans. <laughs> like, literally in the bin, straight away. <laughs> yeah, I just I just wanted to throw up and I haven't had a sip of tap water since. It's a horrible, horrible film. Uh, but Mark Ruffalo is absolutely incredible in it. Yeah, 
He is amazing. Moving on to TV shows. On Netflix, there is a Netflix original series called We Are the Champions. You should watch this. It's all about people that compete in sports that are just odd and bizarre. So episode one is the Cheese Chasers in Gloucestershire. Episode four, my favorite, is the Yo-Yo World Championships. It follows three competitors through the pinnacle of the Yo-Yo. Who knew this was a fucking thing? Absolutely incredible. It's so good. I've been catching up on Shit's Creek. Binged it. I've binged the first season. So, so funny. And finally, The Queen's Gambit on Netflix is an absolute triumph. So it stars Anya Taylor-Joy, who we saw in Emma. But unfortunately, Breen also made us watch her in The New Mutant. So we can't forgive you for that. This is about as sexy as the game of chess can be made. It is such, such a good miniseries. You should definitely watch The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Netflix have just revealed that that is one of the top streaming programs they've ever released. And it's apparently it's getting everyone to start playing chess again. I'm not surprised. Well, my during the last lockdown, down. my wife and I played a lot of chess and unfortunately she's so much better than me but I did win the last game that we played out of the series so I do often remind her that I'm the current reigning champion in this house I lost like the nine games prior but we don't talk about those <laughs> okay over to you guys so the first thing uh, I watched I watched it when it first came out and I, I love this film at the time it's a film called Colossal from I think 2016 with Anne Hathaway yeah mm-hmm. I absolutely love it and for me it hasn't lost anything yeah. uh, watching it again it's, it's such a different film from what the trailer makes it out to be uh, and how the film starts it really ends in a very different it's a very dark film it's wonderful so I thoroughly recommend uh, yeah, totally. looking that movie out I don't want to say too much more about it because it, I think it's if you don't know anything going into watching that film makes a big difference I also watched I can't remember Mercer if you said you'd watched it or, or, it was a film called The Hunt that was on Sky 12 people get kidnapped and drugged and then wake up in a forest and then it, that was due for release in the cinema right. so it was actually banned it was actually banned in the US for a long time yeah. it was yeah so when I mentioned Ready or Not a couple of weeks that I'd watched a couple of weeks ago that I felt was struggled because it didn't know whether it wanted to be taken seriously or have its tongue firmly shoved in its cheek the hunt definitely has its tongue in its cheek it knows what it is and and plays to that and I think that's to it to its strength it's mm. ridiculously violent but it knows it's over the top and it plays to that. And I think it's actually good fun. It's got a really good cast. So I, I, it's it's worth a look. The film I was talking about last week was The Hunter, not, not oh, The Hunter. Hunt. That's right. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, that's right. Yeah. So, and finally, because my wife and I, it's a ritual for us. We do this every single year. So as the film opens five weeks before Christmas, we watch Love Actually five, exactly five weeks before Christmas. So on Friday night, it was five weeks till Christmas Day. Mm. So oh, our ritual fuck. is to sit. Yeah, I know. It was our, our time to sit down and watch Love Actually again. I love that film. Why? I know. I know it's. I know it's. Why do you like that film? Over, over, <laughs> I know it's overly schmaltz. Look, because I, I actually have a heart that isn't made of stone, Mercer. Well, that's basically yeah, what it boils down to. It's got nothing to do with whether or not you have a heart or not. <laughs> the fact that you don't have love in your heart, Mercer, no, means that, that you're never you're never going to enjoy this plenty, movie. I have plenty of love there, to give to. Are... Oh, mate, I give love to your lists every two weeks on this podcast. <laughs> I have love to give, but that the... film oh, here we go. is a fucking mess. <laughs> Week to week, we seem to have a running theme where. Mercer finds one film that somebody talks about, not to his taste, and do you, do you, overrides do the rest feel, of the review no, 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 of it. Paul, do you feel every do you single feel week? Every single storyline in that film works 
Because you've got not at you've all. got a guy not from my family. Basically, his quest during the film is to just go to America and bonk girls. That's literally his whole plot thread. Andrew Lincoln, creepy rapey guy with the signs, which no, let us not, not forget all. the Tory not party thought would be I'm charming sorry. to use in their campaign for Boris Johnson's I'm re-election sorry. a couple of years I'm ago. I'm not gonna <laughs> allow you. I'm not gonna allow you to override my joy of this film. I'm, I'm, you no, don't no, like just, it, and that's fine. I, I have no issue I, with you not liking the film. There are I'm I'm not saying it's the perfect film. Okay. I think there are some terrible segments in it. Right, I think there are things that don't work but there are also some extremely joyous uh, sections in uh, that film uh, and overall that. the movie when that film finishes it just leaves you with a, 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 a in particularly in the times that we're living in at the moment yeah that there is joy in the world and there is love in the world and that's what that film is trying to do okay. and I enjoy it and we every 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 Christmas five weeks before when the film oh, starts stop. no I'm sorry Mercer <laughs> overrode me again he does this with everyone every week with a I'm film not, he doesn't I'm, like wait. so I'm just going to finish what I'm going to say so I think there's joy in that film and I think we need it this uh, this at uh, the moment. This isn't cancel culture. I'm not cancelling your choice of that film. I just was interested to see whether or not you thought all of it Listen, worked. Listen, as, as the person that does the first edit on his podcast, and I've got to pick apart your fights, all the joy has now left my life. <laughs> Guys, I'll say quickly, Paul, I mean... I love your enthusiasm. I really do love your enthusiasm, but I am not going to visit your house <laughs> five weeks before Christmas ever. Okay? <laughs> the door's always open for you, Miles. The door's always open. Oh, boy. I really hope me and Paul are still talking after this. Right, guys, I think you know what I'm going to do now. <laughs> oh, yes. Finally. Yeah, so I watched Rocky. I watched Rocky 1, 2, 3, and 4, and it was really touching over the course of all those four films to see the journey of one man, a struggling alcoholic, come to terms with his addiction and then fall in love with a robot by Rocky 4. <laughs> No, I think no, it's, no, it's, no, it's, Ham, it's Hammond's turn to get angry. Yeah, when Ben shits all over something you love. <laughs> I'm not shitting on it. Rocky One, um, its pace is pretty horrendous if I'm being completely honest I mean for a boxing film there isn't a lot of boxing in it he has the initial fight and then what there's like an hour and 20 minutes before he actually puts like a, a boxing glove to a boxing bag that's if you don't include him punching up raw carcasses which I guess does that count I don't know I didn't realize all as well that the first Rocky film directly inspired 1999's She's All That you've got Talara Shara as Adrian starts the film off as a bookish pet shop worker and then by the end of the film she's had an She's All That makeover essentially she just takes off her glasses and she's a completely different person delightful the second one by far was my absolute favourite really loved the focus of that really loved the, the pace I like to see Rocky struggle with fame and sort of see him try to sort of come away from boxing but he's only just sort of found fame and then he sort of <laughs> retires which I found um, a bit weird but yeah I really love the second one but in fact especially the build up to the fight at the end was really good number three was utterly ridiculous I mean it starts with Hulk Hogan and it just does not recover Eye of the Tiger is an absolute hammer tune but did we need to hear Apollo Creed say it so many times to Rocky he says it 16 times during the film's 100 minute running time <laughs> Eye of the Tiger, you need the Eye of the Tiger. But yeah, and then finally, four. Now, I could be wrong, but, and I'll ask you guys, you the experts, is Rocky Four about the Cold War? It, yes, yeah. directly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it made me think of Degar from Ringy's Dark Place, where he says, uh, I know some writers who use subtext, they're all cowards. Um, it, it very much wears its intentions on this scene. And there's a robot in that film. There's a robot in Rocky Four. Um, I loved Rocky Four so much. 24 minutes of the film's running time is just montages. Oh. So it's a 90 minute film. So that's basically a third of it is montages. They go 
all in the montages, and it's absolutely amazing. Didn't, didn't those montages make you all warm and fuzzy? They really did. All four films have amazing fight sequences. The punches just feel really real. You don't feel that they're actors in the ring. Stallone, credit to him. Like He launched this franchise very young into his career. He was like, I'm going to be in this film. I'm going to star in it. He is the powerhouse behind this, this franchise. I mean, overall, I think like two is my favourite, and then number four, very, very close second, and then number one, and then, and then three was, was just a bit a bit ridiculous. But yeah, guys, I really enjoyed myself. I'm not a sports fan, and I really got invested, in, especially in the in the matches as well. Yeah, yeah really just good. do yourself a favour, Ben, and stop there. After Rocky IV, no, <laughs> yeah. Rocky does not exist. I, I thought Rocky, Rocky Bilbao, I thought it was all right. Uh, Rocky Bilbao, Rocky V is terrible, but Rocky Bilbao, is, I thought, was a, a bit more of a return to form. Yeah, you say that Rocky IV is realistic, so what in the, in the fight sequence, Rocky actually asked Dolph Lundgren to hit him properly for effect wow. and one punch to his body put him in hospital because it, it was the equivalent of a car crash he like rearranged his internal organs Woof. there's commitment to the bit yeah it is yes. <laughs> I must break you <laughs> oh. Ah. oh you've got me all unnecessary I might have to take a minute <laughs> It's a robot! It's over to Ben to pick the peanuts out of the poop and try and tell us something about a box office or... Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to run, run through the US's uh, top five films of the current weekend that's just gone. It's the pre-Thanksgiving uh, weekend, which is usually a very big weekend for the US box office, but most of the cinemas are shut. So at number one uh, was Freaky, which is this new horror film. Uh, that looks actually pretty good. That just made over a million uh, dollars in the US at the weekend. Uh, then we've got The War with Grandpa, which is a Robert De Niro film where he's like playing a bad grandpa-type person again. It looks shocking. Then at number three, Let Him Go with Kevin Costner. Four was a complex is a horror film and then number five because it's christmas we've got the santa claus with tim allen the absolute classic that that is so guys it's basically christmas now and as we all know the famous carol goes uh, on the first day of christmas my true love gave to me wonder woman streaming on a tv mm. fuck's sake i'm sorry it's just, <laughs> it's just i i can't actually properly articulate quite how angry i am with this decision because it completely rules out you know, the release window mm. in the UK, which means there's a stand's been made in this country by most most of the cinema chains that, you know, they won't screen a film that uh, breaches the release window. It means mm. it's a big release that, you know, we, we're not going to be reopening our cinemas to, to screen. No. It then means that other titles that may have released at the same time, if it was going to be released, you know, think, oh, well, we've got a big release, so we can put our film out as well. Those films can't be put out either. So it's screwing up distribution for other smaller titles again. And it's not even, it, I mean, it's going on HBO mm. Max, I believe, as just part of that package. It's no, there's not a premium like Disney Plus, but on Mulan. Yeah. So they're making no income from that. Mm-hmm. No. Other than potentially a few people, yeah, you know, signing up to HBO Max. So they're, they're completely denying themselves a revenue stream by not holding off yeah. and releasing in the cinemas. So, Paul, if you're the head of Warners, what would you have done? Would you have delayed it? Everything else has been delayed until the new year. With the, the, the hope that's now sprung mm. with these possible vaccines coming out, it means that it's not towards the back end, it's mm. towards the back end of the year. But if they start rolling these, these vaccines out sooner rather than later, we're going to see attitudes change to a lot of things and also the safety 
of things changing quite dramatically yeah. in a relatively short space of time from what was what was desolation sure. uh, uh, you know, yeah. a few weeks ago. So it's a complete lack of foresight. I think, uh, yeah. again, from Warner's. I, I know, which is strange, bearing in mind, obviously, they're the company that, that were responsible for Tenet. Seems like a very strange, strange decision to make. And to particularly also, I think we mentioned on the last podcast that the director of the new Wonder Woman film was insistent that she wanted the film uh, out released to the cinema. So I don't, yeah. I genuinely don't understand the, the complete sort of change in attitude from Warner's. May I offer a counterpoint? Yes, please do, Ben. So... Is it not just because, firstly, it's the time of year. People want stuff to watch at home. So Wonder Woman will have a captive audience. Mm -hmm. You know, most of America is still locked down. New York and LA are still screwed. All the schools in the New York district have been forcefully closed and will be until January. Mm -hmm. Wonder Woman is possibly not strong enough to fight a clear window in 2021, 2022, when these, when better films start to be released. So are they not just cutting their losses and saying, well, we can't compete against a Black Widow. We can't compete against a James Bond. We can't compete against a Ghostbusters reboot. Let's just Mm. get it out there, get people something watched over the festive period, cut our losses, and then we'll go back to a regular slate. I'm with, listen, I'm with Paul. I'm angry. I I work in exhibition the same as you do. My cinema is as fucked as yours. I'm just (laughs) trying to play a little bit of devil's advocate here. Paul, do you not think it's so good that they're actually giving people the option? Unlike Disney, who who obviously putting Soul straight into their streaming service, and Mulan didn't give uh, exhibitors the option. At least with this, Warners are saying in the US, right, day and day on streaming, but also you can have it in your theatres for a severely reduced rate because the the splits are going to be more in favor for the exhibitors than it you know usually is for a normal release and then also in the uk we're obviously we're getting it december 16th so we're actually getting it before the us and it's not going to be available on streaming in the european market do you not think it's good that they're at least giving them the option unlike disney um well i mean with regard to it two weeks before in the uk which cinema chain is going to open for that you know bearing in mind so for say for example with the cinema chains that, that we're involved with the businesses are closed in terms of mm. it's only one film that's coming out that's that's the film yeah. there's nothing else coming out at all so we would have to restock you know so we're buying in stock into the business a lot of expense before mm. we even get to open in the doors getting teams in early to make sure the building yeah. is ready to for that film for a film that may have a decent opening couple of weekends yeah and that's pretty much it but you know you know as well as i yeah. do sadly in the world that we live in and we talked about this with mulan it was illegally mm-hmm. downloaded more more times than it was actually paid for ultimately and the fact that it's been released on the stream is so people will just go well look i'm not going to pay full price to go and watch it at a cinema i'm just going to wait sure. and then i'm going to yeah. download it illegally that it's sorry that's it's just sadly it's it's a lot of people's mindsets with regard to that i don't think there is yeah. a choice i mean to be honest you know they shouldn't be charging exhibition in the states pretty much anything the two exhibit in the cinemas to be honest because they're releasing it on hbo max at the same time i think it's a poor poor decision personally yeah it's, it's difficult i mean senior world have made it quite clear that they're not going to open their cinemas unless there's a stream of films coming out so they're not going to open for for just wonder woman however the ceo of amc has actually welcomed the decision by warner brothers and they will be screening this even though it breaks the window they will be showing this in odeon and amc theaters in the u.s so that means that on christmas day you've got a choice of wonder woman 1984 you could watch soul on disney plus or monster hunter the new paul ws anderson film with milia jolovich based on the video game, which I'm sure we'll all be rushing out to see. I don't know. I mean, is there much anticipation for Wonder Woman 1984? Miles, is that a film that you're looking forward to particularly? Did you see the last Wonder Woman film? Well, 
you know, it's great for me to hear the whole of this from your point of view. Talking about Mulan, for instance, I paid I paid 20 quid or something to watch that with the kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, you actually paid for that? I did pay for it. And that, that's the thing. You will get people who will be prepared to pay for it. Because I figured with all what's going on, it's more safer for me to pay that 20 quid than to go out. Then you've got petrol. You've got the mcdonald's stop you've then got to you get your cinema you go into the tickets you go anyway it would have cost me much more than 20 quid to take my two kids to go and watch that Hmm. however saying that i would sooner have taken them to the pictures to watch it Hmm. Hmm. you know it doesn't matter the cost it's just that whole experience isn't it that whole experience you get with it and that is priceless the the overpriced popcorn all that sort of stuff it's just fantastic. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to Wonder Woman, I am a massive Wonder Woman fan. Love the costume. Mm. But um, yeah, again, I would pay to watch that on telly. Yeah, I think Wonder Woman is probably the only DC Universe movie has actually been genuinely great totally i think the anticipation for that film has been huge because the first one was so good it's the it's the one dc franchise movie that i think people have really been looking forward to you know it was up there as one of those tentpole releases for this year before you know the, the world went to hell in a handcart so there would have been a market for it so i'm very very surprised with this decision i really am and disappointed are you annoyed at my overpriced popcorn joke was that are we still friends no, no, we loved all. that. That was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I download your podcast. I sync it up. Okay, so this week's guest, we're going to turn the spotlight on him. It's Miles Crawford. Miles is a professional compere and comedian, radio and TV presenter, actor, tennis player, horse rider, and just a thoroughly all-round great bloke. He owns and manages Joke Club Comedy Clubs and is the founder of the UK Black Entertainment Network. You can hear him weekly on the Miles Crawford Show on London Soul Radio every Wednesday morning from 10 o'clock. I've been lucky enough to produce some live comedy shows with Miles in the past and see him in full swing. So once all this nonsense is over, I thoroughly recommend you search out Joke Club Comedy Club. So, what we really want to talk about, Miles, is films. What's your relationship with film? Love them? Hate them? Do you actually get time to see any? You're a very, very busy man. So, uh, obviously, you mentioned a bit, a bit of time with the kids and watching films. So, yeah, tell us about that. I love them. I love them. Especially, you know, I'm not just saying this because you guys are here, but I'm a stickler for going out to watch a film. That whole experience, I think it's fantastic. You know, but myself, personally, I do like to watch a variation of, of films not not so much into horror we've got so much stuff happening in, in everyday life i'm just not interested in that but anything a little bit different i'll you know i'll give it a view what was the first film you remember seeing in a cinema and do you remember what cinema it was and where it was wow flash gordon i was so excited about going to see do you remember flash amazing gordon? nice do you remember flash ah oh, i yeah. love flash gordon do you remember where you saw it I did. I saw it uh, in a cinema in Tooting in South London, and I had to save my paper round money. And uh, wow, what a morning it was. I went with three of my best friends, Jeffrey Dean and Brian, and we walked up to Tooting and we all went to the cinema. It was fantastic. 1980 Flash Gordon was released. Does that make you feel old? How's that doing oh, for that you? Is just so bad. You did not have to say the year. 
<laughs> um, I mean, I've seen your comedy shows a lot, and unfortunately, you've managed to get me up on stage a few times in front of a crowd. Do you take any inspiration from anything you see on screen? Do you, could you carry that into your act? Is there anything that's inspired you, or any comedians on screen that have inspired you? I'm very particular not copying material, but what I do take from films is that you can you can be spontaneous because the, the the best things to me, the funniest things that happened are the unplanned things, just like getting someone up on stage and, you know, choosing a particular person, member from the audience, or just simply talking to mm-hmm. someone in the audience. And uh, they come out with these funny lines that are unplanned, unscripted, perfect for me. That's the best comedy for me. So in terms of films, what's what's the best film ever made? What's the best film that you've ever seen? And it's a safe place. There is there is no wrong answer. I'm going to set Paul and Ben off on this one. I, is it Love I Actually? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, when, when I fell in love with Love Actually, um, yeah, around Paul's, uh, we sat and watched the <laughs> Do you know, there's a lot, but do you know the film? There's two, actually, two that I'd just sit and watch from start to finish. Hopefully we're not going to fall out on this, guys. Right? The first one, is the Incredible Hulk. I know they've made various versions, but um, I just like watching it. I just love watching, how are they going to transform this guy then on this particular version? You know, some have done well, some not done very well, but love it all the same. Okay. Planet of the Apes. I love the Planet of the Apes. Nice. When I saw the first one of that, I thought, that is well done. I'm loving that. And I was so eager to see the next one. And then the next one after that, you know, bang, it had me, had me hooked. I love that. You know, that trilogy. All right. Nice. Very, very good. So, so one out, one out of two. Good work. Um, <laughs> right, so on to music then. So you host a weekly radio show on London Soul Radio. So as a cinema manager right now, times are a little stressful. Your show, 10 o'clock on a Wednesday morning, is the remedy, let me tell you. I've listened to it the last couple of weeks. The music you play out, oh, man, if you're in a not a very good place, listen to this show. It chills you out, it calms you down, it refocuses you. Do you have a favourite song from the movies or a favourite scene or something that music for you is, is tied into? Wow, that's, that's interesting because you do have... Uh many powerful songs in film. The one that immediately comes to mind is uh, Celine Dion. You know, everyone knows that famous Celine Dion song. You've got them on the edge of that boat and they're sailing out to wherever they're sailing out to. And for me, that, that song is just really powerful. Coming away from reality, you've got these two characters, you know, different social standings, but they're on this ship and bang. That song for me, Titanic, is, uh, you know, one of my favourites, one of my favourites from film. So, Mars, we, we always like to ask this uh, of our guests because we don't like to admit our own guilty pleasures, but uh, we're wondering whether you had a movie that you felt was your guilty pleasure, a film that you like that potentially other people may not. So, I'm going to tell you the honest truth, right? You've actually already mentioned the film. Is Wonder Woman. People would never know that I am a big Wonder Woman fan. I just love the way they do all the fighting in it. I love the the Amazon woman type thing. And they showed us what happened over there. And then she really does crunch into some of those guys. You know, the fighting on it is is excellent, you know. I wouldn't say that was a guilty pleasure. Lots of people like Wonder Woman. It's a good film, isn't it? Yeah, excellent film. Excellent film. No! Let's go again! Does not get it. Get it. Get it. Get it. Get it. 
We'll take the spotlight off of Miles, uh, and we're going to move into our two films in review this week, picked by Mercer. So over to you, sir. So this episode, we've got the 40-year-old version, which is currently streaming on Netflix and was released this year, and we've got Small Axe Mangrove, which was also released this year on BBC iPlayer. So we're going to start off with the 40-year-old version. Any more thought on what kind of play we want to write? Remember, if you put in nothing, it'll be nothing. Like your career? Remember this face? She was one of Spotlight Magazine's 30 under 30 playwrights to watch. We watched, but where'd she go? Think about me doing hip hop. Doing what to it? I want to make a mixtape about the 40 year old woman's point of view. So this stars Rada Blank. She plays a down-on-her-luck playwright, and she thinks the only way she can salvage her voice as an artist is to become a rapper at 40. What did we all make of this one? I love this film. Uh, it, was, it was fantastic. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of rap and hip-hop anyway, uh, so if there's anything that sort of involves that, then I'm in. So being very old, I remember the start of rap and hip-hop or electro as it was known back in the day with people like africa bambata and people like that i've sort of had a history of, of listening to it and really enjoying it for years and years so when a film comes along that has an aspect of that in it that i'm, I'm usually uh, you know I'm, I'm bought into it already this was a great film i, I mean she is stunned and incredible and bear in mind she played the lead she directed she wrote this and it's only her second film as a director she did it just a tv film i think was the first thing she did such an accomplished job i mean bear in mind the workload that she took on for this project i thought it was fantastic shot in black and white yeah it looked beautiful on the screen the cinematography wasn't over complicated over complicated but it, it, it there it served the story perfectly it's beautiful i thought that the performances all around were fantastic it was obviously semi-autobiographical so yeah. it seemed it seemed to be in in a huge way it was a very personal story that she was telling god you hit the mark for me every single point mm. i thought the uh, to use the modern parlance the bars that she was spitting uh were <laughs> <laughs> were were exceptional i think they they were fantastic all right so you're gonna come in you're gonna come in on the eight Yo, here's a little story about a girl who's black with herpes, diabetes, chicks notorious to fatless ass, some asthma attacks from all the courtyard crackers to current use is low, but I want my shit produce, so no happy blacks in the plot lines, please. But a crane shot a big mama crying on her knees for her dead son, the people stop. Couple with the beats mm. that, were, that were laid down for it. I think it was fantastic, but made perfect sense of the story that yeah. somebody would be interested in that. You know, they weren't weak that were to let the story down in the film. I think just overall, I think it was a fantastic job. It's a film that I, I mean, I watched it twice. Wow. Because I was, I was, I was so impressed with it first time round. Uh, I gave it a few days and then sat and watched it again. I, I loved it from start to finish. Uh, how about you guys? I mean, for a film that's um, over two hours in length, I, I'm not surprised you watched it twice because it did seem to sort of zip through. Got a really good pace to it. Um, you're absolutely right. It's sort of semi-autobiographical. Rada Blank, she found some fame with a play that she wrote in 2011 called Seed. But then she sort of snuck away from the limelight. She's been doing some stuff on television, writing scripts for Empire, and she's got to have it for Netflix. But to go out on a limb and just, you know, write, produce, direct, star in this. I mean, she's done a TV film before, but this is a, sort of her first proper feature film. And it just feels so, so assured. That's right, And yeah. some of the sort of situations in it were sort of the interactions between her and that horrendous theatre producer who's played excellently by Reed Briney in the film. Some of those conversations she had are based on, on sort of real things that she came across while working in the industry. I should write in a team mother shooting up in an alley no 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 <laughs> no 
Ah, no. Yeah, no. no, you're missing my point. Okay. I'm talking about gentrification. Mm. A black Harlem shifting under a white hipster land grab. Mm. But your play never goes there. I ask myself, did a black person really write this? I mean, the whole thing just feels very, very genuine, very, very grounded. I, it goes in a direction I didn't expect. She sort of, it builds very quickly towards that sort of first showcase for her. And then after that, it does such a good job of, of sort of playing a real life representation of, of what someone might do in that situation where she's sort of straggling the two worlds, the world of hip hop and the world of, of, of sort of trying to carry on her career as a, as a, a screenwriter with her play that she's uh, producing. The supporting cast were all fantastic. The big laughs for me. I mean, this film is very funny as well in places. The big laughs for me came from the interactions between her and her agent Peter Kim as Archie yeah. but also like the homeless person who lives across the road from her all those interactions were were spot on so yeah I, I loved it and you're, you're absolutely it just looks it looked gorgeous it's beautiful cinematography black and white it was shot on 35 mil as far as I can see so it has that really grainy aesthetic it showcases New York beautiful city and the way that it's shot it's fantastic I absolutely love this yeah Ben uh, Ben Miles what did you guys think I agree totally uh, with Ben and, and Paul I love the uh, the black and white feel that it had to it. Love that. Just adds a little bit of authenticity to it. Something a bit different rather than all this colour flying at you all the time. It enabled me just to get into the film and watching somebody on two sides of the fence. You've got the theatrical side and then you've got the rapping side. Two very different arenas from a performer. There is some true words spoken in rap. And rap is, as we know, about everyday life just not not rhymes it's not like po it is poetry but most rap is based on what's happening in that person's life at that time and that's um that's where it comes from so it was interesting to me how they fused the two i thought they did it really really well she played that character really well and i did love her uh, agent archie I, I thought he was great everyone's got an archie friend you know and uh no i, I did love it thumbs up to that one thumbs up yeah completely agree i mean this was so entertaining and so original. I got I got to the end of it and I struggled to think of anything that I've seen lately that could compare to this. And I, I came up with absolutely nothing. You're right, Ben. The laughs were were big, big laughs. It was so so such good comedy sewn all the way through this film, along with the grit and the anger and the frustration. I think the clash of the two worlds, like Miles said, was brilliant. How she transitions between sitting sitting in a weed filled beatmaker's apartment and then going and you know, rubbing shoulders with millionaire theatre producers and stuff was was done seamlessly. I love the interactions between her and the homeless guy. I thought he was the highlight of the film for me. He was absolutely brilliant. And I really like kind of to towards the end when she's having kind of a bit of a crisis of character and she gives the homeless guy a sandwich. He's like, you expect me to give you advice when I'm sitting here with shit in my pants? I thought was just one of the so deadliest <laughs> lines I've heard in film for a long, <laughs> yeah. long time. That's great. So this is the part where I tell you I was an artist who fallen from grace, right? Now I impart some wisdom to you that changes your outlook. Cause you gave me a fucking sandwich? Nope. And maybe next time, if it don't kill you, could you put some mayonnaise on both sides of this dry ass bread? Such a good pick, beautifully shot. And even the flashes of color. I mean, I really like towards the end when Rada and Dee are walking down the street and finishing the story off. Yeah. And it fades into quite bright, vivid colors, but yeah. still with a really dark Bronx or Harlem background. Yeah. Fantastic film. Really enjoyed every minute of this. Can I just say something? I wasn't going to mention this, but I thought I'd mention oh, it. Over. When you, one of my notes came through, my notes came through for the films to watch. I actually watched the wrong film first. I watched The 40-Year-Old Virgin <laughs> <laughs> instead of The 40-Year-Old Version. I mean, 
great viewing. It was very, very funny. But I had to quickly, once I read the notes, I realized I watched the wrong film. So I uh, hold my hands up. But very, very funny moment. Listen, we're all big fans of 40-Year-Old Virgin on this podcast. That's yeah. a, not a bad film to get kicking off with. <laughs> Sorry, I had to watch two films for that. Honest as always, Miles. Okay, so that brings us on to our next film. So this is Small Axe Mangrove. On Sunday, the 9th of August in North Kensington, a demonstration took place against the police, which degenerated into totally inexcusable violence. These defendants are all guilty of a serious criminal offence. part of Steve McQueen's five film series which is presented on BBC and in America on Amazon Prime. So Mangrove tells the story, the true story of Frank Critchlow whose West Indian restaurant a lively community hub in London's Notting Hill is at the brunt of a relentless police raids. In a bid to stop the discrimination of their community base, Frank and his friends take to the streets in a peaceful protest in 1970 only to be met by police aggression. What did we think of this one? I mean... Holy shit. What a film this was. <laughs> How is this on BBC iPlayer? I mean, this is a film that mm. needs a red carpet premiere, that needs to be shown in theatres. I'm so happy it's on iPlayer. I'm so happy it's accessible for everybody. But this yeah. is Steve McQueen doing what he does best. This is unflinching, unapologetic. It did open the London Film Festival this year, but obviously that happened in a very different format due oh, to the okay. pandemic. Ah, of course. Yeah, yeah. This took me on such an emotional journey I, from deep-seated anger to frustration to joy to everything in between. Sean Parks, who I really only know as Coop from yeah. Human Traffic. I mean, holy hell, where did this guy come from? He was absolutely exceptional. Well, Black Panthers can do a press release. I don't want a mangrove to have a reputation for what the police do and done. I lived all that body at the Rio. This is a restaurant, a respectable restaurant, and I won't keep it that way. I hate to say I ain't grateful for all your offering of support, but I can't make no complaints, you know? It's a restaurant, not a battleground. I hear you. Food is good. Yeah? There were shots where the focus is solely on his eyes for yeah. such a mm. long time, and you can feel every single emotion coming right from his soul through this film. A scene yeah. as simple as a spinning colander on a kitchen floor that is held for long enough yeah. to make you as a viewer really uneasy because you know what's happening outside of that room. Even now talking about it, it's it's mm. given me chills. This film took yeah. me to a place where no film has for a long, long time. Exceptional viewing. It is fantastic. And again, to my shame, I didn't really know this story. So I'm thankful this actually was made to just help improve my understanding of... Uh, culturally where we are or aren't and how little we've progressed since uh, since that time i'm not sure what's worse is the overt racism that, that you experience watching this thing which is just that nothing's hidden at all or where we are now where it's just more subversive than overt it's an amazing piece of work it really is and like you said sean parks it was astonishing i mean the, the scene when mm -hmm. he's locked in the isolation cell again the camera held on that for such a long time. Mm. And his final sort of release of his frustration in, in that confined, tiny little room was just breathtaking to watch. Mm. I thought Letitia Wright, if I had a, a slight niggle with it, because overall uh, the performances across the board were, were fantastic, I felt she was, maybe it's because obviously the type of character she's playing, she was quite shouty 
in the first 10, 15 minutes, there, there didn't seem to be any any levels her performances. It just seemed to be quite overt. But once settled into it, her performance was exceptional. So it's only to, you know, as we were getting going through yeah. it, there was a lot more nuance in there and it it, 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 it peaked and troughed perfectly. But it's just initially, she was just a bit too on one level for me, mm. just at the very, very beginning. But an exceptional piece of work, so well put together, gave you a very clear understanding of it. And again, Another piece of work that left me angrier after the crawl uh, at the end than I thought was possible because Mm. of the fact that there still has been no apology, still no official apology for the police for everything that continued even after Mm -hmm. the story that we're told in within this context of this film. I mean, it's just insane. It really is, but an exceptional piece of work. Yeah, great. Miles, what did you think? Oh, Mangrove. Do you know, I I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the Mangrove. uh, In actual fact, they'd, um, I'd had that film sent to me ages ago and I'd watched it already. So it was interesting. I mean, my, my thoughts are that uh, I, I would like to see it on a wider platform. I'd like more people to see it. You know, it's definitely got a message in there and a lot of people aren't aware that these sort of things happen, you know. Now, it's only a film, but it's a film about true things that happened. You know, it's not like it's made up. And still around today, it's still around today. And uh, it's it's good that people are bringing it to the fore. Mm. You know, it's being yeah. seen, albeit on BBC iPlayer. It just shows you the change in times. You know, if you go up to uh, that area now, Notting Hill, totally changed. Totally changed now. Um, when I was doing research on this, I read that the Mangrove restaurant closed in the early 90s. I believe so. I believe so. There's a lady, actually, who I'd spoken on a, a Zoom recently, and she's she's written this book oh, nice. about black history. And that restaurant, the Mangrove, the whole thing is in the book, you know, which is really interesting. Uh, so she's got times, dates, you know. Wow specific facts you know you you never really know everything when these little bites these little pockets of stuff come up like the film you just say oh my goodness you know i just didn't realize anything like that happened back then this film i'm just gonna echo what you guys said this film was absolutely gorgeous i i I just totally fell in love with it the period detail was incredible 1970s notting hill feels very vibrant felt like felt like a, a world that was lived in and just some of the celebration in the film just really popped off the screen. And again, to pull the art, I didn't know about yeah. any of this. And it's really great to have this film shining a light on this little little period in history. The cast were all remarkable. We mentioned before, Sean Parks is incredible. I actually really like Latita Wright sort of all the way through it. I don't think it showed a, it showcased a side to her that we hadn't really seen outside of the Black Panther films. So that was fantastic. But the villains of the piece were, were also incredible. Sam Sprill playing the, the absolutely hideous, loathsome PC pulley. And then Alex Jennings as the judge who, you know was was fair but firm um i thought sort of those two actors did a really good job as well the courtroom scenes in this i felt for me it's interesting reviewing this so close to watching the trial of the chicago seven for me i I preferred that the courtroom interplay in here because it felt more naturalistic and what was really great about this is the defendants were representing themselves so there was a lot of cross analysis from the actual actors defending them sorry the characters defending themselves which was really really interesting particularly the highlight would have been the the observation window and the fact that it was put on a piece of paper and the twists and turns of the court case as it unfolded, it let things like that really grip you and, and as it played out was, was fantastic. PC Pulley, can you please confirm that this is the size of the slit in the observation van? That's roughly the same, I guess, yeah. Two by eight inches. It is your testament that you, PC Dixon and PC Johnson were all looking through 
this same hole at the same time. Correct? Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. I would like to know, PC Pulley, how it is possible that even two men could look through this same hole at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I love this film. Absolutely essential viewing for anyone to, to just, just watch this. I think it's a shame that it's not in the cinemas, but I will say this, the BBC, they are actually pushing out. I've seen the um, billboards around and I, I spoke to my mum this week and I was saying oh, what we were reviewing on the podcast and she went, oh, I watched that and I hadn't even mentioned it to her. So, you know, it is, people are, are, are choosing to watch this on a Sunday evening, which is really great. <laughs> Okay, so with that, we are now moving on to our review-related question. So this week, I, inspired by the 40-year-old version, not virgin, uh, Miles, um, <laughs> the best on-screen performance by a musician-turned-actor. So I want to cast our minds on those times when musicians have stepped beyond their boundaries to portray a performance on the big screen. What do we have with this one, guys? Any any good picks? So I'm just going to go with what I misread the question initially. So it was about actors yeah musicians becoming actors and who was good and who wasn't but then i obviously realized it was actually about specific performance so well, it can be both i'm not going to give you a list so you know fuck you mercer and uh, <laughs> i'm gonna go straight straight in no tangential straight in with mark Wahlberg in boogie night oh, that's my pick Friend, mark, yeah he was marky mark and the funky bunch yeah and then to go in and yeah take a yeah an anderson movie and play the lead, and I mean, carrying the, the entirety of that film on his shoulders, did such an incredible job on that. On what is a fantastic film with a brilliant ensemble cast, mm. as you would expect from Anderson. I think his performance was exceptional in that movie from start to finish. He was so self-assured in that film um, with that character in that time period that he wouldn't have experienced at all because he probably wouldn't have been born during that period to, mm. to get that level of detail down, I think was exceptional. So yeah, Mark Wahlberg in Boogie Nights is my choice. Sorry, Mercer. Yeah. That's um, for me is the hands down answer to this question and his, yeah, just his carrying the whole film, as you said, and that final shot that final scene which itself is a homage to sort of the final moments of uh, scorsese's raging bull it, him in the mirror practicing those lines and then producing his prosthetic uh, part shall we say oh that's good so you know me you know my reputation that's right i'm brock landers so i'm gonna be nice so i'm gonna be nice i'm gonna ask you one more time where the fuck is Ringo? Oh, I did have like a small sort of shout out. It's not a list, although it is two two choices here. But um, Lenny Kravis as a, a sinner in the Hunger Games films. I watched those recently and I really love him in those films as a sort of supporting rock to Jennifer Lawrence's Katniss in, the, in that franchise. But um, no, Mark Wahlberg is this, the hands down winner. Have you gone for Wahlberg as well, Hammond? I did think about it because I do, I do love Wahlberg in almost in almost anything he's in. Um, I've gone, I've got a small, I've not a list again, like you. I've got a small nod, and then I've gone wildly to the other end mm. of the spectrum. So go for it. A film that I think is so wildly underappreciated from my childhood, 1993's Hocus Pocus, and I think Bette Midler is absolutely incredible in this film. That's it. That's my small nod. So I'm going to go all the way to the other end of the scale. Uh, on the previous pod, I've spoken about the Friday trilogy being one of my favourite trilogies ever made, which leads me to my actual pick of O'Shea Jackson, better known as Ice Cube, <laughs> but not from Friday, from 1991's Boys in the Hood, which is one of my all-time favourite films. 
And if we are talking about musicians becoming powerful, powerful actors, then this is the one for me. He carries that film from start to finish. So many great performances in this film, and somehow he manages to stand out above the crowd as Doughboy. Great. The film itself is gritty, hard-hitting, thought-provoking, and I just think Ice Cube's performance absolutely shines above the rest in this film. Mm. It's a film that I watched as a teenager, and it's some, it, it's probably a film I watch two or three times a year, because I think it's absolutely incredible. So that's my choice. He is fantastic in that movie. Is it John, Singlet- John Singleton directed it? Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic movie. Miles, give us your thoughts. Wow, these are really, really good questions today, I've got to say. Um, my favourite musician turned actor. film that comes to mind, and I thought the musician played really well, J-Lo, Jennifer Lopez, right? She played this character. It, it was a true story. The film was called Selena, and she had this hit song, And but it, it, the, the film depicted on how she grew up and poor and all that sort of stuff, and then how she... A voice broke down all these barriers, and then she came out with this hit song. She became a world star. I thought it was brilliant. I don't care what you say, it doesn't matter, okay? I love him, and that's it. What did you say? I said, I love him, and he loves me too. Of course he does. You're young, you're beautiful, and you're rich. Yeah, you would say that. It's not like that. He cares about me. It's J-Lo and the film Selena. Great. So, inspired by the recently released piece of film news, there's news that Short Circuit's being remade, which makes me so, so sad. But, useless trivia alert, the sound of Johnny Five's laser is the same sound as a Ghostbusters proton pack firing up. There you go. Wow, there you go. Um, You're welcome, everybody. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's not even the end of poll question. So, which film franchise would you like to see a reboot or a remake of? So this is a question, an interesting question, because I feel that Hollywood just doesn't seem to take a hint here. They, they're they continuing quest to not only milk a franchise cow absolutely dry, but then like watch it keel over, perform some minor CPR, and then chuck the cow back into the milking parlor just to drain the last life out of that cow. They fucking love to drain a franchise for all it's worth. There's news now that Predator 5 is being made. There's a Terminator sequel in the works, bringing back some of the cast members from Terminator 2 because it just didn't work with Linda Hamilton uh, last year. Um, and then obviously Ridley Scott just will not leave Alien alone so I think this is a chance for us to maybe showcase a film that was maybe a bit of a misfire when it was first released but you know give it a second go why not I don't know whether you guys have listened to Brett Goldstein's recent podcast with Patton Oswalt I haven't but I will not yet well well when you do he is the one man that can give Breen a run for his money when it comes to words per podcast let me tell you Patton (laughs) Oswalt goes for it but he did make a very good point about one of the funniest films ever made, and that film is Blazing Saddles. And it was really refreshing to hear Patton Oswald argue against the, oh, that would never be made today camp, because he recapped the story of it's actually a film about an intelligent, articulate black man arriving in a backwater, redneck, racist town. And throughout the film, more and more people accept him, and obviously it all ends well. So what I really enjoyed was Patton Oswald was kind of arguing about, yes, the, the N-word is thrown at the start of the film hundreds of times, mainly in the opening 10 minutes and scattered through the film. And that's all people focus on. They kind of don't focus on the rest of the film, which is probably one of Mel Brooks' best films, in my opinion. So not that I particularly want to see this film rebooted, but I'd be really genuinely interested to see how it would be made in today's market. Just one more bill for you to sign, sir. What the hell is this? This is the bill that will convert the State Hospital for the Insane into the William J. Lepetamine Memorial Gambling Casino for the Insane. Gentlemen, this, this bill will be a giant step forward in the treatment of the insane gambler. Yes, bravo. Beautiful. 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 Beautiful.
was supposed to be Richard Pryor. Pryor was supposed to be the lead, but he, he couldn't do it because of it was another another commitment to something else. So he wasn't able to actually you know free himself up for the shoot. But he was he was supposed to play the lead on that, which would have been interesting because he would have been playing opposite Gene Wilder as he did very successfully in films that came later on. So um, this is a. It's a very difficult question. I mean, my, my glib answer would be Last Jedi and uh, Rise of Skywalker and have both of those completely completely remade. I mean, it, it isn't because The Last Jedi is a great film, but, you know, whatever. Well, that's, um, let's agree to disagree. So my other, uh, I have two other answers. All of the Marvel movies are made outside of the MCU. Mm. So whilst the X-Men and X-Men 2 are great films, you know, they, they basically, as we talked about before, they killed the franchises so, and Fantastic Four, etc. So all of those I want to see rebooted, which obviously will be coming now that everything's within the same fold. And then everything in the DC universe except Wonder Woman, because it's been total shit. Right. Okay. So Star Wars, Marvel, DC. Cool. All those things are being <laughs> remade and recycled already. So I'm going to be a happy man. Okay, good. Uh, Miles. Oh wow! You see, this one, this one's interesting. This this one's really interesting. I mean, there's there's quite a few, but I agree with Paul, and I w- I'd go for the uh, you know all the superhero mm. stuff. Just remake all of it. I, I love it. You know, I love all that that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, if uh, with the effects and stuff they have today, uh, the special effects and things like that, I'd be interested to see what they'd do with some of the uh, earlier franchises. Nice. So for me, you know, Doug Lyman's had a pretty solid career. Edge of Tomorrow, the first Bourne film, Go, Swingers, even Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I actually quite like that film. But in 2008, he dropped an absolute clanger starring Hayden Christensen, and that is Jumper. Have you guys seen Jumper? I really like Jumper. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> it's my it's it's a, it's a guilty pleasure really for you right i mean i you know i quite, yeah. I, I quite like the concept i don't think the film's very good but there's a great concept there it gives you the hint of this world that exists between you know samuel jackson being a group of people who are trying to hunt down all these people that essentially they're mutants i guess they can transport or teleport instantaneously between place to place and the actual effects in the film aren't that bad but the the way that it's handled and doug lynham's usually a very slick director but the way that it's handled in the film just it doesn't really unlock the potential of this uh, central concept so you know why not have another go let's let's have a let's have another jumper film and, and to tell you what let's not have hayden christensen in it this time yeah i mean that there are gaping holes you know they mentioned very early in the film is you have to be able to see where you're going before you go there and yet he jumps into a bank vault in paris i mean has he ever been into that bank vault in paris how do, how does he visualize this so unsurprisingly i've got a short list what's this five will Ferrell has to be on that list yeah that's my extensive list which i'm sure will be edited down yeah, he's such a smart ass Super. So that does end all the questions, but we do need to know what we are reviewing on episode six, and it's Paul's turn. We often enter this section every third week with dread, wondering what Paul's going to make us watch. Unbelievable, because of one bad decision. My choice is for this week. So sorry, Mercer, one of them's a horror film. So it's on Netflix, and it's called His House. I think it dropped a week, maybe two weeks ago uh, on Netflix. It's about a couple of immigrants uh, that come over and, and move into uh, a property and that they're sort of given, and then all sorts of horrific things ensue. The reviews have been very, very good for it, so I wanted to give that a go. And secondly, so this is on Prime. You may have seen it because it was a couple of years old, but our love of Paris, Texas and Harry Dean Stanton uh, made me look at this film. It came out in 2017. It's called Lucky, being a big Harry Dean Stanton fan. I thought it would be 
a good chance to see the man at 90 years old in, I think, what was his last performance, which, again, reviews-wise, was reviewed very, very well at the time. So Lucky is my second choice. Great. Look forward to seeing both of those. That almost brings us to the end. I just need to pose the question for this week. I've made, oh, I don't know if it's going to be tricky now or not. We'll see. So your question for this week is, which movie theme song from the 1980s inspired its very own feature film of the same name? So now my fire. Incorrect. Hearts on Fire. Also incorrect. That was a Rocky reference. I thought you'd lap that up. Well, I did, but it was wrong. You know, I can't get excited about wrong answers, Benjamin. So there you go. That is your question to end the podcast. And that is all we have time for. So, Miles, thank you for joining us, sir. It's been an absolute pleasure giving us some of your time today. I uh, hope you've enjoyed yourself. Do you know, I'm going to take this opportunity. I'm going to take this opportunity to say a, a big hi to Ursula. And Ivan, I love them dearly. Oh, I love them dearly. And uh, I think about you guys every day. It's almost Christmas. I know we're, we're recording this in November, but by the time this goes out, you might be hearing this in December. So, uh, yeah, let's let's hope December, January, February, as we go forward, brings us a lot more happiness and joy. But, Miles, if I don't speak to you before, Merry, Merry Christmas, mate. Great New Year. Love to you and your family. And thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for having me today. And I really wish you well. I'm a fan of this podcast now, so I will be listening in the background at future broadcasts. Thanks very much, Miles, for coming on. It's been great having you on. And, yeah, stay safe, everyone. And just reminding you that I've got lots of love to give, but just not for the film, Love Actually. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks uh, Mars uh, thanks so much for coming on it's been a genuine genuine pleasure and thanks everybody else for listening please be good and if you can't be good be careful please stay safe and healthy and uh, yeah we'll be speaking to you all very very soon that's great thank you all so much and we'll be back for episode 6 you've been listening to Have You Seen This with Paul Breen Ben Hammond and Ben Mercer the main theme was written by Akira Ifakubi and remixed by Ben Mercer with beats supplied by Lander please like and subscribe and share where possible and check us out on Facebook facebook.com forward slash seen this s-c-e-n-e this for all the latest updates all views and opinions in the podcast are those of their hosts awesome have I made up for the social dilemma yet no no, not remotely that for me sits on a par with New Mutants yeah I mean both films were an enormous vase of wank and we should never talk about them again <laughs> <laughs> an enormous vase of wank brilliant I think that's the outro right there <laughs>